I should tell you that this was totally impromptu. She did not come here expecting that she would be asked to tell her story. But everybody has a story, and we know that's true. But not stories. Stories aren't always equal. Mm -hmm. Some stories kind of make you say, wow. This is one of those stories. Thank you for being willing to share, being willing to share. If at any point you don't want to talk about it or you feel like it's an inappropriate question, that's fine. Do not answer. Um, this is not about being a lawyer. This is about trying to understand someone's journey. Okay. All right, so that being said, I don't even know where to begin. I'm a gynecologist and I'm seeing you for GYN issues, but in the course of just trying to understand, um, I ask about medical history. Can you tell me about your medical history? So the short version is at 24, I was working as a makeup artist. Extreme fatigue, no matter what I did, no matter how much I slept, I was always tired. And that was really my only complaint. I went to the doctor. I thought they were going to tell me to start taking vitamins or something. And they did some blood, blood lab tests. And from those lab tests, they brought me back in to do more tests, um, urine samples and all, all of the things. And what came about, they realized that I had end-stage renal disease. At that time, I think I was down to a little less than 20% kidney function. And on the same day, they told me I had an autoimmune disease called lupus. And this all came from me being tired, thinking I needed vitamins. Um, the doctors were very aggressive. They told me I needed to stop work immediately and prepare to either be listed for a kidney transplant or to start looking for a donor or a combination of the two. Um, ironically enough, the lupus wasn't as active anywhere else in my body other than the kidneys. The mm -hmm. damage had already been done. Yeah. Um, and I'm really just speeding this story up for sake of time, but my middle brother ended up being a match. And so my middle brother, we're four years apart, donated a kidney to me. Um, and so now I have this kidney transplant. I'm 20 five by this point so about a year has gone by the kidney transplant the transplant the way it was pitched to me mm. the way it was sold to me was that after this transplant you'll feel like your old self that's a very interesting word to use pitched mm -hmm. can i stop and go back a little bit mm -hmm. what did you know about lupus at 24. Absolutely nothing. 
at 24, I knew nothing about nothing except for what I was doing in that moment, which was makeup. And, you know. Did you even understand what it meant when they said you at 20% of your kidney function? I did not. I understood that I knew I had two kidneys. So when they said you only have 20% function, in my mind, it says, okay, well, why can't I just use the other one? Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize it was cumulative. that both of them were only functioning at 20%. And I, I had a lot of questions. And I honestly, I don't think I knew in that moment when they gave the diagnosis how serious it was. Anyone in the family with kidney issues or lupus? No. I, so I found out my mother's cousin, so this is my second cousin, mm -hmm. was given a lupus diagnosis. No kidney issues. Other than her diagnosis, she's perfectly healthy. And I'm not sure if her lupus is systemic mm -hmm. or the skin mm -hmm. version. I'm not sure which one she has. But um, on my father's side, my father, his brother, my grandmother, all diabetics all on dialysis. Mm. My father just started dialysis mm. maybe a year ago. Um, and my uncle and grandmother on my paternal side have since passed, but it was due to complications with diabetes and renal failure. No so lupus. how though. do you wrap your head around this? You're 24 makeup artists. Um, I didn't. I don't think I, it will be quite some time before I wrapped my head around it. And how did it feel going to your brother? He actually came to me. I didn't go to anybody. I'm telling you, I really don't, it, it was almost, it was almost paralyzing. Mm. You know, I'm getting all this information. And prior to this, I had never been sick either. Mm. So even just being in the doctor's office as often as I was, mm. was foreign to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, never been sick, never broke anything, never had to be on medication. Mm -hmm. Completely healthy up until that point. Did you feel like you were getting a good explanation? Did you feel like you were getting good care? I did. Okay. I did. The, the initial doctor that diagnosed me was so thorough and so patient. Excellent bedside manners. Um, one of the biggest regrets is that when I came to him, he was preparing to leave. He was preparing to move and relocate mm. down south. Mm. So he could not see me through. Um, you know, I think I may have only been with him for that first year. By the time we realized that I would be, that my brother was a match and I would be getting a transplant, he had transferred me to another nephrologist mm -hmm. to pick up from there. But no, he was uh, amazing, the doctor. All right. A year goes by. It's a devastating diagnosis. It's a life-changing diagnosis. Mm -hmm. The rug is completely pulled up from beneath me. How are you dealing with this mentally? Oh, I was depressed. Absolutely. Um, did you go to a therapist? Did you start taking medication? I did not. So the only time I actually saw a therapist was right before the surgery. And that's just protocol. Oh. They want to make sure that when it's a living donor, that there's no um, coercion or, 
you give me your kidney, I'll pay you $10,000. You know, they want to make sure everyone is doing it on their own free will. Gotcha. So I did talk to a therapist then. Um, and they gave me the clear. They gave me the go ahead. And it wasn't until, I think, after the surgery, after everything kind of started to settle down, is when the depression hit. Because now I'm actually feeling everything. You know, everything was kind of on go. It was a rush. Mm-hmm. Not a rush, but, you know, everything mm-hmm. moved really quickly once my brother was a, became a match. Let me go back. Up until the diagnosis, you were urinating, going to the bathroom, doing everything. Doing everything normal. I had everything no felt indication. Normal. I had back pain, but I attributed it to being in heels at work all day. I'm mm. telling you, your our brains are phenomenal because they will make up a logical excuse or explanation for everything. I had low back pain, not severe, but you know, achiness. And it's like, well, you're in three-inch heels, three-and-a-half-inch heels all day at work. Maybe you need to. Mm-hmm. And that's that was really the only. But, yeah, I urinated normal. And I did have trouble sleeping, but it wasn't, again, it, was, it wasn't anything that I thought was a red flag. And so, in retrospect, there was really no way of knowing. No signs. It's, it's not as though... You felt bad and just didn't go to the doctor. You were feeling perfectly normal. So the good news comes, you have a match. And it's only been a year. And waiting to get the match, you didn't need dialysis or anything like that, did you? Towards the end. So you did eventually go on to dialysis Mm -hmm. before getting your brother's kidney. Right. So problem solved, right? Allegedly. Um... The sur- there were complications initially with the surgery. Um, and I remember being rushed back to the hospital. Time goes on, you know, you're on, now I'm on all these medications and all of these medications have side effects. And I'm experiencing probably every single side effect listed on the side of these medication bottles. Um, And like I said, the way it was sold to me is that I would feel like myself after the surgery. And so I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and myself never showed up. If anything, now I'm feeling worse. Now I have diarrhea. Now I can't keep anything down. Now I've lost all this weight. Now I'm weak. Now I'm, this is not who I was. I'm still not able to work. I'm 25. My my friends are traveling the world, getting married, having babies. I'm in the hospital over and over and over again. This goes on for the next several years. Um, I went into a state of depression. And again, me trying to make logic, make sense. I real I figured that the medicine that I was taking the anti-rejection medicine is what was making me sick. Mm-hmm. It's what was causing all of this. And that maybe if I stopped, I would start to feel better. As a doctor, you know, when you stop, you may feel better temporarily, but your body is going to immediately begin to reject this organ that was donated to you, this gift of life. 
And that's what happened. And that's how I lost the kidney and ended up on dialysis for the past 17 years. So you're blaming yourself? I take accountability for the decisions that I made in that state of mind. Um, short answer, yes, I do blame myself. There's no one else to blame. It was my responsibility to take the medication. It was also my responsibility to let someone know what I was thinking and how I was justifying how I was feeling. But I can say that as a, oh, I'll be 42 at the end of the month, a 42-year-old woman looking back. Yes. At a 25-year-old young woman, no. I was completely clueless. Like I said, I'd never been sick, never taken anything more than a Tylenol. Um, so in your mind, how long did it take before your body started to reject the kidney? I would say I was in probably rejection for about a month before um, I had to have an ambulance called to pick me up because I couldn't, I was short of breath couldn't catch my breath and that's from the fluid now building up but yeah it probably took about three three to four weeks um and at that point people realized what had happened they realized oh she stopped taking her medication or did they realize that not quite um I, so what i missed didn't put in the story is that i left philadelphia to go to baltimore I thought, well, since I can't work, maybe I can go back to school and finish my degree. So I got accepted to Morgan State University and I was living in Baltimore at the time. Going to school, full-time student? I was a full-time student for about a semester. Okay. But again, between how I was feeling with the adjusting to the medication, um, it was just, I, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't a big enough distraction to distract me from what I was feeling. So at the point that I decided to stop taking the medicine, I had also stopped. I was I didn't re-register for the next semester. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let me press pause and take a break mm -hmm. and figure out because mm -hmm. none of this is what I thought it was going to be. Um, so no one was around, per se, to see my day-to-day -day schedule. It wasn't until... I went to the hospital, I get rushed to the ER, and they I have to call my mom. And I say, Mom, I'm you know, I'm in the hospital, you gotta come down here. And this isn't me being dramatic. I honestly don't remember what happened after that. I don't know if they put me in a medically induced coma because I was out of it for a while. And then when I wake up, I have the catheter to do dialysis in my neck and I have to go to therapy to like learn how to walk and make sure so yeah traumatic extremely traumatic um and traumatic for my mother and I think that was also a really big guilt that I lived with for a really really long time is that I caused that much fear. At the time, she didn't have a car, so she had to take a Greyhound from Philly 
to Baltimore mm -hmm. and not know what state she was going to find her only daughter in. Mm -hmm. And now I'm out of it. So it's not like I'm communicating with her while she's en route. So I can only imagine the pain that I put her through before she, you know, was able to lay eyes on me. And granted, it's only a two-hour trip, but that two hours, I'm sure. And she couldn't, she met, she, the first bus was full. So she had to wait for it. You know, it was just, it was one of those things where it's... Did you have the opportunity to talk to her about it afterwards? Many years later, because even then she, you know, she couldn't talk about it. And also we were still in the throes of recovery. Yeah for a while too. So it was a couple of years before I actually worked up the nerve to ask her about that day and just what transpired on her end mm -hmm. to get, you know, to get to that point. And she shared it with me. Um, and even though it was years later, as she's sharing it, like she's fighting back tears because it, even just the remembering of it brings her to that emotion of not knowing whether she's gonna have me alive or dead or on life support. Mm -hmm. So, it was very traumatic. And did people eventually realize? All I told them, I was honest. I didn't try to hide it. Were they mad with you? Or did you feel guilt? Was your brother upset? My brother is still upset. And it's been uh, 18 years. And he's still upset. Um... I want to say the rest of the family in, in my immediate circle was probably more disappointed, mm -hmm. but they also gave me a lot of grace because mm -hmm. the whole time they were saying, I just can't imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine. So I'm imagining that there's a lot of anger. I mean, yeah, you're not feeling well, but this is a shitty hand to have been dealt, you know? And you were like on the launching pad of, now I'm going to live my life. And then things just kind of crumbled. Mm -hmm. So I would, I mean, I, I can't really imagine that. But just to see things just fade away. And when you mentioned I'm 24, I'm 25, my friends are traveling and doing all this and I'm not. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if anger is the right word. I don't know if anger is what I felt. I think it was more, it was a lot of sadness, mm -hmm. um, a lot of heaviness. But then, like I said, when I started, I found the yoga practice, things started to shift. I knew I couldn't blame anyone. Like, who do you blame? I wasn't mad at God. I didn't think that God had cursed me or anything. Mm. It was a lot of confusion mm -hmm. and just not understanding. I'm somebody who's very logical. I'm a Taurus. I don't know if you're into astrology, but it's an earth sign. So I need things to make sense. It needs to be practical. And so I'm constantly trying to make sense of this situation that I found myself in. And the yoga did help learning how to meditate, mm. learning how to um, 
disconnect. And, and when I say disconnect, disconnect from the hustle and bustle of looking for distractions and more so connect to myself and be in that moment. What am I feeling in this moment? Not what do I think I'm going to feel when I go take this medicine an hour later? Or what do I think I'm going to feel tomorrow morning when I wake up? Or even further into the future. But in this very moment, at this very second, what am I feeling? And what do I need? And that helped you? It did. Um, I'm, my mother, I'm, everyone, I'm the oldest child and grandchild. And so I think I kind of was born with this innate responsibility for everything and everyone around me. I have two younger brothers on my mom's side. I have a younger brother and sister on my dad's side. All of my cousins are younger than me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was just this always this responsibility of just checking on everything around me and kind of making sure that others that they were okay that they were okay with your diagnosis that they were okay that you were that I managed. was managing I had to be okay so that they would know that everything was okay you were doing it for them or you were doing it for you probably both because I didn't want them to look at me. I didn't want them to feel. Remember, I told you I'm dealing with the guilt that I caused my mother. I don't ever want to be the source of guilt or pain that I bring on my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, this may be a little personal, but did you have a boyfriend? I mean, did you start dating or how did... Mm -hmm. I mean, at 24, I can imagine if you were a makeup artist, you... Uh, Definitely had boyfriends yeah, and was dating. You knew was... how to do all of that, mm -hmm. right? Um, so after the surgery, I was not dating. My boyfriend at the time, you know, in the midst of it, we had broken up. And... As a result of this, or it would have happened anyway? It probably would have happened anyway. Okay. I mean, this definitely played a part in the way he responded to it. But I imagine that's that's a lot to deal with. Yeah, and but you know it it would have happened eventually anyway. So it wasn't like we were together for years. Um, dating after the surgery though, like dating on dialysis. <laughs> Initially, I was okay with it because I only had catheters in my arms, so there was nothing external. You didn't have a shunt. I'm sorry, within, yeah, oh, yeah. I had the, the shunt inside okay. my arm. So there was nothing external that would give away this thing that I had to do. Well, I mean, there was a scar. I mean, would you wear sleeves all the time? I would. So. I would hide it. Dating, I would hide it. I didn't yes. try to hide it yes. in a relationship, but yes. I wasn't leading with that. If yes. I went on a couple yes. of dates with you and I saw it was actually going somewhere, there was potential, then I did divulge. That I do this thing called dialysis. Ah, that's hard. It is. But for the most part, a lot of times the guys didn't know. Because remember, we're still young. We're not even 30 yet at this point. So it was it was new to them too. Oh, what's dialysis? What does that mean? Oh, I got to go a couple days a week to the center. And it like cleans my blood out. And, you know, I'm a little tired afterwards. But then I'm good. That's how I explained it 
explained it away. Um, so it wasn't really a hindrance. It was. It didn't become a hindrance until the dialysis was a traumatic experience too. Naturally, I just had really small veins, mm. and so the shunts wouldn't work. They would get blocked. They would get infected. They would. They would. They would. Mm. So they've been all over both arms, my thighs, had shunts mm. everywhere, trying to get it to flow. And then it was like, well. There's this thing called peritoneal dialysis, but the catheter hangs outside of you. And that's the only other option at this point if you're not willing to be relisted. Because at that point, I had written off ever getting another transplant again. So I said, Can I ask why? Um, So I started really taking control of my health. And now I wanna know about these medications that are being prescribed. And I'm looking at different options and alternatives and how can I supplement, not supplement, but is there a way I can support it, the medical side with nature, with herbs, with other things like that. And so because that had become my focus, and eventually I became an herbalist, went back to school for that. I knew the medicine that you use when you take a transplant, you can't take herbs. Like they tell you, they won't even allow you to be listed for the to wait for a potential donor if you tell them that you wanna do an herbal protocol. Now, I'm not familiar with that, and that's because they think it will lead to a greater chance of rejection? They think, well, no, it's because that the anti-rejection medication, certain herbs will, they don't always blend well together. And I guess the doctors that I had at the time, instead of taking the time to figure out well, you can take this, but you can't take that. You know, if you want to use mint and you want to drink mint tea every day, you can, but you can't take, uh, what's a big one? St. John's wort mm-hmm. when you're feeling your seasonal depression. Mm-hmm. St. John's wort has something in it that decreases the effectiveness of the anti-rejection medication. So they didn't know that, probably because they didn't have that knowledge. Where did you get this information from? From my herbalism training and then taking the herbalism training and applying it to the medication that I was already on, the prescription medicine that I was already on, and just doing my own research. Self-advocating, basically, is what I started to do as a result of all of this. So you would would read up or learn about a certain herb and you would think this could potentially help. Mm-hmm. Let me see if there's any contraindications with this herb. And how? where would you look for the contraindications? Because I'm thinking this hasn't even been studied. Oh, no, it definitely has. There's books on just this very thing. That There's a list. There's a, I can't think of the name of the book or the author, but there's a naturopath textbook that lists herbs, common herbs that have been studied for contraindications with certain medications. Mm -hmm. And so you would 
select an herb to try and how would you decide this is something I'm interested in trying? Just reading up on it? Well, in my herbalist program, we would learn herbs in different groups. And how long was this program? A year. Okay. All right, so you said- And I'm taking more than one. And so how old are we at this point where you decide I'm taking my health into my own hands? Probably early 30s. And is this because you're dissatisfied with the, the medical treatment? industry? You're dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. What was the source of your dissatisfaction? Do you know? Was it was it the dialysis? I mean, did you or what frustrated you about the care that you received? That there was no. I think I was most frustrated that I was treated like a number and not like an individual. Mm. Everything was, well, based on these studies, this medicine should work for you because you fall in this criteria. Mm -hmm. And then I would get on the medicine and like I said, I would have every side effect that was listed. <laughs> and then their thing is, well, but does the good outweigh the bad? That you know, Does the benefit mm. outweigh the risk? Mm. And I didn't want to live my life weighing constantly benefits over risks when the quality of life sucked during the interim. Um, and I knew I couldn't, I mean, ideally in my mind at that point, I would have liked to get to a point where I didn't have to have so many prescriptions. And eventually I did get there. It went from, I don't know how many pills I was, maybe 10 to 12 medications, and now I'm only on three. This was your self-doing? In combination with a doctor who was patient and compassionate and willing to listen. I found the right doctor. Mm -hmm. I told him this is the lifestyle that I'm looking to live, mm -hmm. and we worked together okay. to come to that, to, to get to this point. Um, I've been with this nephrologist now for the past 10 years. Okay. All right. So the difference, your life started to change for the better when you said, I want to assume control. Mm -hmm. And it was control of everything, control of my diet, not just, you know, because, you know, you go to the hospital and they have everybody known to man come and tell you what you're supposed to be doing. So nutritionist and everybody. And like you said, the renal diet. It's hard. It's hard, and it wasn't appealing to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't eat pork. I didn't eat beef. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I literally had to take control of everything and get into nutrition and learn about holistic health, whereas they were focused on renal health. Mm. So you're a really interesting person because you're someone that's needed allopathic medicine and you know allopathic allopathic and you know holistic herbal treatments I mean mm -hmm. you're doing a combination of the two mm -hmm. and you've found a way to make it manageable for yourself yes are you of the mindset 
that had you known better sooner, you wouldn't have needed Absolutely. That. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. To be clear now, are you saying had you realized sooner and had pursued the natural path way, you wouldn't have rejected your kidney? Your brother's Even kidney? before that. You had I known sooner and went the naturopathic way, I would have been able to restore more than that 20% of kidney function. I feel like I would have been able to reverse wow. some of the kidney function. That's saying a lot. I believe that wholeheartedly. And what makes you... I, I, I'm pausing because I know people are listening and they will be impressed by your honesty and sincerity. But that's such a powerful statement. People will potentially believe. Forget this allopathic stuff. Let me just pursue. I would never tell anyone to forget anything, but you have to be realistic. I mean, if so let's just say, you want to say forget the allopathic and you stop taking your blood pressure medicine. But you don't change your diet. Mm -hmm. You don't start to exercise. Mm -hmm. You don't go back to the doctors and you don't follow any type of protocol. You're just out here winging it because mm -hmm. you listen to a podcast. Because you don't want to take pills. Or because you don't want to take pills. Right. And not only is it irresponsible, it's just not smart. Do you think you would have had, I mean, it's one thing to say this now in retrospect, but with the 24 four-year-old, I don't even know if you can answer this, but do you think the 24-year-old would have had the discipline to go the natural pathway? This 24-year-old, I'm going to say yes, because in the, it was going the naturopathic way, even though I was still doing allopathic as well, where the teachers, the herbalists, the naturopath doctors were able to break things down and explain things in a way where it made sense to me. Whereas, you know, in the medical field, you have about 15 minutes, if that, to spend with a patient. So you're not doing a whole lot of explaining mm -hmm. or teaching. Mm -hmm. You're prescribing a pill to mm -hmm. fix whatever the issue is. Mm -hmm. The which, symptom. The symptom, to okay. fix the symptom of this greater problem and then seeing them in a couple of months or a couple of weeks or what have you. Mm -hmm. That was the cycle that I needed to break. Not just because I didn't like taking pills. I mean, that sounds very juvenile. I take pills in herbal form. So, you know, I don't always, the mm -hmm. herbs that I take aren't always a tea. Mm -hmm. or, so it, it's not just that I didn't like taking pills. It was that I didn't like feeling like you were just putting a Band-Aid on something and I don't even know what we're treating yet. So now I have this list of pills that I'm popping for these symptoms, but what's the root cause? Mm -hmm. And what are we doing to fix the root cause? Is the root cause even fixable? And do you think um, most illnesses are fixable following uh, a holistic herbalist path? That's a loaded question. And mm -hmm. I don't want to be irresponsible. So what I will say 
is I believe in allopathic medicine. I believe when you're in a car accident and you got a finger hanging off, allopathic medicine is where you need to be. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need to be looking through your herbal books mm-hmm. and your tinctures and things to try to figure out how to put your finger back on. Mm-hmm. But in matters where the disease progresses over time, mm-hmm. whether it's because you didn't know you had it or lifestyle or whatever, I do believe that herbal medicine has the potential to be life-changing. I believe that too. Um, so speaking of life-changing, can you give me an example of what your diet was like and when you made these changes, what your diet became? So when I first got sick, um, my only thing, I didn't eat pork, I didn't eat beef. Those were my only limitations. I, at 22, 23, I was definitely eating McDonald's and eating out and um, drinking sodas and juice and just, you know, because I didn't have a weight issue. Mm-hmm. I was always relatively fit in that sense. So mm-hmm. it didn't, um, there was no need for me to become conscious about the foods that I was eating outside of those limitations. Once I got the diagnosis and things progressed, I started to become, I started looking plant-based, eliminating all animal products, meat, dairy, things like that. Again, just based on personal research? Personal research. Um, Now we're in the age of social media. Now I'm hearing more about these different lifestyles, vegetarian, um, raw vegan, I'm, you know, my mind is now open to all of these things that exist that I didn't know existed before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to learn about the teachings of Dr. Sabi and, mm-hmm. you know, looking at his recommendations for a diet. And I followed his diet for quite some time. And where my hindrance came in, came down to location. Living in Philadelphia in the middle of winter, I'm not going to want a salad. I'm not going to want raw food. It's cold outside and like brutally cold. I want not necessarily something comforting, but warm. Mm -hmm. Something with some substance to Mm -hmm. it, you know. So uh, I was a vegan for maybe... I don't know, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And then slowly started incorporating fish, became pescatarian. It's like, this is, this is hard. And I was having issues with protein. My protein levels, I wasn't having issues. The doctor was having an issue with it. He wanted me at a certain number, and I was always falling short. Let's say the number was three. Mm. And I was always a two or two five. You're like, you need more protein, you need more protein, and your body does need it. But the amount of lentils and vegetables that I needed to eat throughout the day, it was like, well, I need to spend the whole day eating just in order to meet these numbers, and it just wasn't. You know, there is a lot of um, questions about can you get enough protein being a vegan? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. And I guess the best explanation that I heard about that 
is that if you see a horse mm -hmm. in the field eating, that horse is, you know, muscular, mm -hmm. um, not eating any meat. So there, it is possible. Absolutely but, possible. But, but I also had other disadvantages yes, working you did. against me. Yes, you did. What about, I heard you say there was a spiritual component, because I'm hearing you say that first you kind of decided enough. Mm-hmm enough i'm going to start taking control of my health and i think that was probably the pivot and then you said okay maybe it's the food maybe i need to educate myself and mm -hmm. that's when you you know you went your journey and you said herbalism works for me mm -hmm. and that's beautiful but then you also said earlier that there was a spiritual component to it absolutely and i think that's why i had such a hard time saying that it was anger and it was because of that spiritual component. Um, for me, I was always a spiritual person. I grew up in the church, I uh, was raised Baptist. And I got to a point before the diagnosis that I was searching for more and didn't quite know what that more was, but just mm -hmm. knew that um, the protocol that I had been born into didn't quite fit. And what protocol was that? A, a Baptist, go Baptist. to church, yes. Sundays, Sunday school, and, Sunday school. And, yeah. Jesus Christ. And, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so the first leg of spirituality that I was introduced to that was not of the, uh, you know, Abraham tradition, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, was yoga and Hinduism. And while I never became Hindu or practiced it, it opened my eyes to a different way of connecting with spirit or connecting with something greater than yourself. Through meditation or just through some sort of revelation? Through meditation. Okay. Through meditation. I mean, you have revelations while meditating, but in order to get to that point and you know, shut out the noise, you have to meditate first. So meditation was the introduction for me to this spiritual journey. What did your meditation practice look like? Um, 10 minutes, twice a day, an hour? I mean, mm. what, what? No, I never worked up to an hour. Um, I don't know, unless you're some type of Shaolin monk living on a mountainside, if that's possible here. And I mean, I'm sure it is. Let me not say that. It's definitely possible. It wasn't realistic for me. For me, what was practical and what worked and what mm -hmm. I could be consistent with mm -hmm. was anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes a day. Mm. 10 to 20 minutes a day, in addition to my yoga practice. So the meditation portion was... Or the 10 to 20 minutes would be the the stillness meditation. Yes. But then the yoga practice itself became my moving meditation. Okay. Because even in that, I noticed that my mind was still very much in a meditative state, even though my body was going through these different positions and learning how to connect to my breath. And Right. I'm trying to get a sense of what type of commitment of time was this. So you said maybe about... 10, 20 minutes. 10 to 20 minutes of stillness. And then the yoga. Anywhere from 20 
minutes to an hour class. Okay, so we're not talking about no. That's hours what I'm saying. Very hours. practical, very realistic, very doable. Do you have a sense of how long it took before you started to perceive? Oh, there's something here. I'm changing. I feel different. It didn't take long. I think it took, what do they say? How long does it take you to create a habit? Once my yoga became a habit, once I realized I'm putting all my money, any extra money I had was going to a weekly pass or a monthly pass at a yoga studio, that's when the shift started. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so now... You seem like you're at a good place. You seem very peaceful. I mean, you have a really incredible story about going through a lot at a very young age, young adulthood, just when your life is kind of taking off. Mm-hmm. Um, and you seem, you seem in control of your life, actually. You actually seem like I'm okay. I am okay. Things could always be better, but in this moment, on today, I'm good. And did it affect your ability to get married, to have children, or? So I did get married. Um, I got married at 37, 36, 37. Um, I reconnected with someone that I had went to elementary school with, Mm -hmm. actually, not even high school, because he went abroad to go to high school. So elementary school, we lived in the same neighborhood. We reconnected as adults. And within nine months, we dated, we reconnected, dated, and got married. Whoa. (laughs) Within nine months time. Wow. And it was beautiful. Um, His name is Brian. He's a truck driver. He loved and accepted me for everything that I am, everything that I'm not. Because now you're 37. At this point, you've made that transition into my lifestyle, taking everything for controlling myself. I'm doing the yoga. I'm meditating. Doing peritoneal dialysis. and like I said, top of my head, bottom of my feet, this man loved me, adored me, supported me, encouraged me, believed in me. How nice. He was a truck driver and he was working and it was winter time and it started to snow and another truck driver, another tractor trailer lost control and hit him head on. And so he transitioned and I became a widow at the age of 40, at the age of 39. No, I became a widow at 40. We have the same birthday, my husband and I. So I'm trying to remember he had just turned 40 and he would have been turning 41 and I was turning 40 that year. We were born on the same day, but a year apart. And so 
the year I turned 40, I became a widow. Um, this story is too much. It is. <laughs> you didn't know that part of the no, story, but. No, no. Had you planned to have children or had you thought about children? We did. We did. And even prior to getting married, I always wanted to have a child. I always wanted to be a mother. But with this diagnosis coming so early, I thought I would wait until my health was stable enough. I thought it was selfish of me to try to get pregnant while I'm on dialysis, where I would not be able to be at my optimal self and, and give that to my, you know, I didn't want my child to suffer even in utero for any lack that I had. And so he and I were talking about me having a transplant so that I could get pregnant. And that was the conversation. That was the, you know, I had relisted. I was on a waiting list. And so at the time I wasn't aware of any living donors. So we were just kind of waiting, playing the waiting game. Um, and then he has his accident. I just feel like saying, I am so sorry. Oh, thank you. It's only been two years. Um, and it's still hard sometimes. Of course, I miss him dearly, but because I'm still, I would like to say, fairly young, mm -hmm. um, I do wonder if I'm sure I'll meet someone but I did wonder if I should still be hopeful about becoming a mother in the traditional way. In the traditional way, right. Mm -hmm. there, there are lots of options. I mean, there are, you know, the options are almost mind-boggling. You could consider a surrogate. You could adopt. Mm-hmm. There are just so many ways to become a parent. Right. And I'm open. I haven't written anything off. Um, I probably just, so this year's revelation, I took a, my first international trip, I took, I went to Ghana. And it was in Ghana that I realized I had to, even though I was mourning my husband, I also had to mourn the life that I was constructing in my mind mm -hmm. in order to accept whatever my new life was going to look like and not block whatever may come down the line yes. because I'm still stuck on what it was supposed to be That's right. with Brian. So that was this year's revelation. That's good. Um, so you went to Ghana to put it at risk? Not to put, I didn't know that I needed to put it at rest until I got okay. there. Right. It was while I was there that I had that revelation. I went to Ghana because the spiritual practice that I settled into and that resonated with me most originates from Ghana. And so my godmother in this tradition, the Akan tradition, she goes to Ghana, you know, every year, maybe sometimes even a couple of times a year. And it's almost like um, how Muslims want to go to Mecca, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was that type of trip for me. So, yeah, that's why I went to Ghana. And it was beautiful. I can't wait to go back. Wow. What a story. <laughs> what a story at such a young age.
um, a story that on the surface seems impossibly painful. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, that's too much for one person. Oh, it is. Way too much that one person should have to endure and be resilient and through be resilient. so much. That's right. But I'm looking at you and the woman that I see is not a defeated, sad person. The woman that I see is a very well put together, calm, cool, collected. It's like nothing bad can touch you. It's like nothing bad can really touch you. And that's an amazing, I mean, that's an amazing testimony, you know. It's truly just the grace of God. I'm telling you, leaning into spirituality and the spirituality that works for you, not necessarily what's assigned to you, is really what got me through because because I am so young, my friends couldn't relate. Mm. You know, they didn't really understand. They could be empathetic and mm -hmm. sympathetic, but mm -hmm. they didn't always have the answer or the words or even mm -hmm. the time, mm -hmm. if I'm going to be really honest. Mm -hmm. They didn't even always have the time. Mm -hmm. My family cannot relate. They just want me to be better. They just want me to be okay. And so what do I do with that? I, you know? And it was, like I said, it's, it's literally just the grace of God and me finding the practice that um, helped me make sense of how to balance things out and, and mm -hmm. how to be live in alignment. Mm -hmm. and in harmony mm -hmm. and that's probably the task that we all have you mm -hmm. know and health it's interesting we started talking about your kidneys and now we're talking about spirituality mm -hmm. and there is a thread that goes from one to the other to the other and it's finding that connection i mean again i i keep going back to um the things that impress me about your story is first it's just over the top you know <laughs> everything that happens to you is over the top you know mm -hmm. it and it's you know it's every complication, it's every side effect, it's the rejection, it's the, it's just over top. You have this big story where it seems like, now this could take her under, you know, after this happens, this is really going to flatten her to the ground. And then you rise up. The ultimate phoenix. That's right. You rise up, mm -hmm. and then it's like, okay, you should, you th you think you got it together. Wait until this happens, mm -hmm. and then it's like this will really, and so it speaks to the resilience of of the human spirit. I mean, anybody, um, if anyone should have had major depression, I think it should have been you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but it shows how you can take what is seemingly bad bad outcomes. I mean, it's hard to say, oh, <laughs> there's a silver lining behind this rejection or this unexpected death and just rise 
from it. And so find a lesson in it. Yeah. yeah. And I think because every tradition outside of just regular American culture sees that connection between the physical and the spiritual. Whether you're talking about Ayurveda, you're talking about traditional Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. you know, every culture sees that connection, but ours. And I just happen to be living here, so. Yeah, I think there's, there is an over-reliance on, well, it's, it's, it's a two-edged sword. I was going to say there's an over-reliance on medication and surgery, but I think part of that is because most of us want a quick fix. And most of us don't want to give up, you know, the foods. Mm-hmm. We like what we like. We want to eat what we want to eat. We want to drink what we want to drink. And when we feel bad, you want a pill that's going to make it all go away. But I think at least the women I encounter, they kind of know that's not really so. Mm-hmm. Because they all want to take vitamins and herbs. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't necessarily want to stop eating the cakes and pies. Right. But they're willing to take the herbs, you know, because they have some belief that the herbs are going to make them better, you know. Or they're always doing a Google search for, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think... And, and we have a history of before, you know, we could go to the doctor or see a black doctor, there was grandma that had something in the garden right. that she would give us. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, we know that it's just living in a way that's consistent with that belief. And so we're at this discord, this crossroad, mm-hmm. which is probably why we're not healthy. Pretty much. You, you have to find that. I mean... Even in my own family, that's why I told you my father just started dialysis. Mm -hmm. But he was diagnosed with diabetes over 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And your story is unusual in that there's a lot of kidney failure, a lot of people that need dialysis, a lot of people that need transplants, and their kidney disease is because of high blood pressure and diabetes. Mm You're a bit unusual in that you had lupus, and lupus was a completely different beast. Right. Um, and so, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Um, thank you for being the fighter that you are. You know, thank you for being an example um, to us about the ability to heal and i'm not just talking about physical i mean mm-hmm. the ability to heal and come out even better well, thank you for having me this is good this is good 